ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhind, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 Purpose Girls. So I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating that a couple of years ago, I was feeling so anxious having had two miscarriages, having this business, wanting to empower the world and not knowing how. And I said to my mom, I think I've been anxious since starting Purpose Girl. And my mom said to me, Karen, you've been anxious since you were three. Now, I don't know what a three-year-old gets anxious over, except she's right. I can look back and I can picture the moments when my heart was racing, when I was moving my body, when I was needing to fidget and play with my fingers or my toes, when I was sitting in class, bouncing my knee, so much anxiety. I had my first all-out panic attack when I was 17. I had been in a relationship, my first relationship, my first love was abusing me, beating me. And I've told you before on here that she was a girl and I didn't know how to talk to anyone about having a girlfriend, let alone a girlfriend who beat me up. And the truth is that I've had many panic attacks, many anxiety attacks since. The six months after the second miscarriage, I was having a daily panic attack on the floor, literally crawling and screaming in panic every single day for probably close to an hour, all while still being Purpose Girl, all while teaching happiness. And this, I'm finding, is so common, right? Check in with yourself. Have you ever suffered from anxiety? Do you suffer from anxiety now, whether it's as extreme as what I mentioned or it is just a daily passing anxiety? I was just speaking with someone yesterday. She's an event planner, and she was telling me how every bride is anxious. Every mother of the bride is anxious. There's so much anxiety everywhere. And so today's episode of the Purpose Girl podcast is all about what do we do with our anxiety? How do we work with it? How do we move through it? How do we feel healthy and sane and good and, dare I say, happy, even with so much that is anxiety-provoking? Our guest today is the perfect person to help with this. Now, I'm going to forewarn you, this is the first male guest I have ever had on the Purpose Girl podcast. And I am intentionally having Dr. Todd Pressman on the Purpose Girl podcast because this is such an important issue. I hear about anxiety from so many of my coaching clients. I hear about anxiety and the issues of it and the pain of it from so many of you Purpose Girl podcast listeners that I had to go to the best person the best possible person, and he happens to be a man. So we are going to give him a warm welcome on the Purpose Girl podcast. I want to introduce you to Dr. Todd Pressman. And in all openness and honesty, he also happens to be one of my closest friends. And I thought, I've got to have you on. Let me tell you about Todd. Dr. Todd Pressman is a clinical psychologist and international seminar leader. He is widely known for his work with transpersonal breathwork and A Course in Miracles. He graduated with degrees in psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and Saybrook Institute. His books, Radical Joy, Awakening Your Potential for True Fulfillment, 
and The Bicycle Repair Shop, a true story of recovery from multiple personality disorder, have received high acclaim. In 1982, he traveled the world to study the great wisdom and healing traditions, including with a Zen master, a Jain family, a Zoroastrian high priest, and a Sri Lankan firewalker. His education also includes an internship under Stanislav Grof, who is a doctor at Esalen Institute. With a background deeply rooted in tradition, he was groomed by a father whose teachers were taught by Sigmund Freud. He has integrated this wide-ranging experience into a new program of psychological development. His working model is based on Michelangelo's ideal, to release the statue from the stone, the authentic self from the overlays of imposed identity, into the discovery of freedom, joy, and fulfillment. His new book, Deconstructing Anxiety, The Journey from Fear to Fulfillment, was recently released and is available now. Todd, welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. Thank you, Karen. And it's quite an honor to be your first male guest. I'll do my best to embody the divine feminine and masculine <laughs> all at once. I know you will. I know you will. You may end up being the only male guest. I have no idea. I just know that I have suffered so much anxiety. In fact, it was just, I think, maybe a year ago, as you were writing the book, I reached out to you and I said, Todd, can I get a pre-copy of your book? Because we were going through our fertility journey. We were experiencing so much challenge and my anxiety was at an all-time high and I thought, I've got to do something. And you and I over dinners and over game nights and just fun as, you know, as friends, you had been sharing about your book. And I thought, he's, I, I need new tactics. I need new strategies. So Todd, I want to get into those for people because they're so brilliant and they've helped me so much. First though, I want, if you will, share why anxiety? How did you start studying anxiety and working with it? Well, that is a good place to start. And my story doesn't begin with having anxiety. Uh, boy, I heard some details about your journey and um, I can certainly empathize about the en enormous suffering that anxiety creates, which is actually what fuels my passion for this subject. But my story started when I turned into an adolescent. I guess uh, many of us have been there. <laughs> many of us have been an adolescent, hopefully all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the hormones were stirring and I was asking all the good adolescent questions. Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? And what about all this potential for suffering that I never knew about? Because I was raised in a very happy uh, home and that was kind of a, a nice bubble until all of a sudden the bubble bursts and I'm exposed to the rest of the world out there. And that launched my journey where I became really intensively devoted to trying to understand uh, some real answers to these questions and find some tools that I could get my hands around and get some real results from. So I heard my father, who, as you mentioned, was uh, a psychoanalyst that studied under students of Freud, but he also started exploring much more uh, Eastern and esoteric traditions. So he was quite an adventurer. And whatever he was reading, I would read like Swami Muktananda and Fritjof Capra, the Tao of physics, sort of new age physics material, and eventually Stan Groff, with whom I trained. Um, and this opened me up to the spiritual path, which then I went, when I went on to a doctorate program, you know, I kind of joined the traditional and the new. But all the while, I was looking for answers to those questions, what to do about suffering, how to reclaim the kind of freedom and joy that I knew as a child and I knew was potential for all of us. So my spiritual journey took me to 
the Zen Mountain Monastery in upstate New York. And then I found A Course in Miracles, which has become extremely important to me. And those two paths particularly uh, emphasize that fear is really the nut of it all. That we can describe Mm -hmm. any problem, any source of suffering, but underneath it really is about fear. The Buddhists call it the body of fear. And in A Course in Miracles, they say there are only two experiences we can really have, love or fear, fear being a call for love. So that got me thinking. And as I was working on myself over the years and working with clients as a psychologist, I started looking for the fear underneath it all. And I found a process, which we can talk about in this interview, for deconstructing the fear or anxiety. I think they're essentially the same down to the core fear, the element at the root of it all, the basic source of suffering. And I discovered that not only for me, but for my clients, when you get our hands on that core fear, the the essential thought that really drives all of our anxious experiences, all of our painful experiences, then we have some real power. It's not just about thinking positively. It's not just about using affirmations. It's not using denial or distraction. We have to address it at the core level. Mm. And even different psychotherapies don't often get to that root, root level, which is the only place real change can happen. Yeah. I was When I was reading your book, I was struck that anxiety now is the number one diagnosed mental illness. Is that right? In, at least in America. Absolutely. One in five. One in five. And yet, if I'm remembering this correctly, only 45% of cases actually get resolved. Mm -hmm. Something like that, yes. Yeah, that's that's not very, it's not a winning formula. Like it doesn't, you know, allow me to sleep at night knowing that someone's going to really help me with my anxiety. And I was really appreciating what you said that underneath all anxiety, in fact, what I really was struck by, you said underneath all emotions, under sadness, under anger, under boredom, under everything, is either this fear, right, base core fear of survival, or this desire to be fulfilled. Exactly. And that these are in conflict. So I want to dive into this root fear, because when I look at my own life and I think, well, what would I have been afraid of when I was three? (laughs) What would I have been afraid of? I can certainly understand what I was afraid of when I was being abused by my first love. Fear that I wasn't loved, fear that I wasn't lovable, fear that I was about to die, fear that I was being hurt. And I can understand the anxiety around the miscarriages, fear that I'm not a woman enough, fear that I'm not good enough, fear that I'll never fulfill this dream of mine. Underneath everything is this core fear. And I know that you talk in the book about kind of the, the five deceptions of fear, the five aspects of fear. Can we start there? What are those five aspects? Sure. Um, and I guess I'll frame it in a context, according to what you were referring to, of understanding it's true. In my understanding, my belief, this is like fundamental to the whole deconstructing anxiety model. There is a fear underneath every emotion. And when we deconstruct the emotion down to, I'm sorry, every negative emotion. If it's positive emotion, it's driven by fulfillment. But when we deconstruct it down to its root, we can prove every time there's one fear, one core fear or one core idea 
that each of us have bought into that accounts for all our suffering. So that's great news. If we can get our hands on that, again, we have some real agency. The five deceptions of fear are different ways of understanding how fear is sneaky. It's a trickster. Mm. It tries to deceive us so that we don't catch on to the fact that it's not a good strategy for making our lives work. So you ask the question, how can a three-year-old be anxious or what do they have to be anxious about? Well, here we are in the womb and everything is perfect, Hmm. assuming no medical problems. Hmm. And we come out and it's a little less perfect, but then we go to the mother's breast and it's pretty good again. (laughs) But then little by little, the world creeps in and we say things are not that kind of perfection, that wholeness, that sense of completion where all Hmm. of my needs are met that they used to be. And that's the origin of fear. Mm. We could, if we have time, talk about the three stages. The first stage where we encounter fear is actually in the womb during the birth process. Mm. We don't know that we're going to survive that. The second stage is when we encounter our first real contact with fear in early childhood. And then what seals the deal is adolescence when we're again, sort of a new birth into an adult world. And we say, it's pretty scary out there. Yeah. So the deceptions are that fear is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, except when we're in moments of true fulfillment, there's always a degree of fear. And I like to say there's an inverse relationship. The more fear, the less fulfillment, the the more fulfillment, the less fear. Mm. Uh, We're going for complete fulfillment where we uproot the fear and clear it out. Mm -hmm. After the ubiquity of fear is the fact that fear doesn't want us to know that it is the source of our problems. (laughs) So it tries to hide itself by saying, I'm your friend and listen to my advice. And it really is smart to be cautious and watch out for danger before you go out into the world. After that, fear doesn't want us to look at it straight on. Even if we say, you know, I know there's fear underneath this and that's the problem. It says, don't look at me. Don't, you know, avoid try and turn your attention off to something else. And this is epidemic in our society. We do not like to look within. No, and this is where we start to numb, right? Like we'll numb out on shopping, we'll numb out on Chardonnay, we'll numb out on Netflix, we'll busy ourselves, right? We're like totally addicted to being busy. Because if I actually have to sit and I actually have to look at my fear, I actually have to face my anxiety, that sounds too awful. Right. And when I don't, it feels awful. Yeah. And that's one strategy that people use to get busy or distract. Other people get depressed. And that's also a way of minimizing fear. I'm just shutting down my feelings. I'm turning off to life so I don't Mm. have to feel the pain. Uh, The other deceptions are if we do finally look at fear, it doesn't want us to look at the root of it. And that's what we're talking about today. And when we look at the root, it doesn't want us to move through, to take action, to move through that fear all the way, which ends up being the great cure. Mm-hmm. Many of us in your audience will know about exposure therapy. You expose yourself to a fear. You find out that it didn't have the power to do what it threatened, and there's the release. If you've lived through it and it didn't kill you, you say, okay, I guess there wasn't something to be so afraid of after all. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that you do so well in the book, you talk about different therapies and what you know what works and where there are still holes and exposure therapy. I don't know how many of you listeners know what it is. I didn't know what it was until I started working in the field. And I'm afraid of heights. I don't know if you know that, Todd. I am terrified of heights. 
And so I face my fear of heights all the time by jumping out of an airplane, riding a bike on the Golden Gate Bridge on a very windy day, and it still doesn't take it away. Right? I face those fears. I've done those things, and it still doesn't take it away. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you're uh, diving in deeply so quickly. This is a really important point. It's the whole issue about finding the right fear to face. Mm. And that's where I think exposure therapy misses the boat sometimes. Sometimes it's extremely effective, but only if it's hitting that core fear at the root. Let me give you a story. I have a patient who had, he still has some really awful social anxiety, really, really bad. Uh, and before he came to me, he was doing exposure therapy with another therapist who said, well, expose yourself to your fear. When your coworkers invite you to lunch, I want you to go. And he would be squeezed between two people in the back seat and two other people in the front. And he would be miserable all through lunch. And they have to do the car ride on the way back again. And it wasn't working. Mm. And finally, when we did the exercise for finding the core fear, we realized he was holding on to a hidden defense. We'll talk about defenses too, that said, all right, it's like I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to grit my teeth through this whole lunch process. And then I'll be able to get back to my little cubicle and hide. Mm. So exposure therapy requires true exposure. And if you're saying, I'll just close my eyes and then get back to my safety, it's not going to work. Mm. But understanding, as he's now learning to do, the true fear at the root of that and exposing himself to that is yielding some very promising results. Wow. He's got a tragic story where um, his father kidnapped his one-year-older brother and disappeared wow. when my patient was one year old. Mm. And his mother kept saying, well, now you have to watch out. Your father's going to come and get you too. Ooh. And that set him up for a lifetime of social anxiety. So understanding that route, which doesn't take, actually with the exercise we'll talk about, takes about three to five minutes, uh, really made all the difference for him. Wow. Wow. So let's dive into that, Todd. How do we find that root core fear? Sure. Well, the exercise for doing so I call digging for gold because it is a matter of moving through the many, many layers of uh, defenses that we've learned to use to protect ourselves from that core fear. And again, fear doesn't want us to discover it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's why, you know, this is kind of buried in the unconscious and so forth. But I'm very happy with this exercise because it, it can get there so quickly. Your readers might want to take out a pen and paper, but uh, if not, it's simple enough to remember. Okay. We start with a problem, any problem. Why any problem? Because they're all going to come down to the same core fear. And I'm really delighted to be able to demonstrate that with this process. Awesome. Do you want to do it on me or are you going to use your own life as an example? What would uh, be better? Well, we can... Sure, let's do it with you if you okay, if sure. you'd like. Uh, listen, I'm an open book on this, so well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's all good. A to illustrate to your uh, listeners, it's it's not scary, it's not threatening, and you don't have to reveal your guts. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, it's okay if I do. All right, so I start with any problem. Any problem, and you state it in a short single phrase, or if you're writing it down, you write it at the top left of a piece of paper. 
Okay, so I have a mission, a purpose, a huge dream that I will impact at least one million women's lives. And it becomes a problem because I sometimes then feel like I'm not doing well enough, I'm not measuring up, I'm not doing enough, I look at other people and what they're doing and compare myself, and then it causes anxiety. Beautiful. So yes, the goal is to state it as a problem, which you did. And for the exercise, you want to be really strict about keeping it just to this structure. So short phrases, otherwise our defenses creep in and can take us off track and people like to analyze and sort of perseverate. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying you were. Oh, I was. It's okay. <laughs> so is the short statement then, my problem is I'm not measuring up in my career or I'm afraid I won't measure up in my career? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yep. And then I get to ask you one of three questions. Okay. These are all different forms of the question. What's the fear underneath that problem? Because we're, again, digging down layer by layer to the core fear. And if you're writing this down, you'll write down one of these three questions on the right side of the top of the page. So line one on the left is the problem. Line one on the right is the question. And the questions are, why is that upsetting to me? What am I afraid will happen next? And what am I afraid I'll miss or lose? Now, if they're writing it down, everyone's writing that down, I'll say them again. Why is that upsetting to me? What am I afraid will happen next? And what am I afraid I'll miss or lose? Again, different versions of the question, what's the fear underneath that problem? And you just choose whichever question seems most helpful. If one isn't yielding an answer, you pick a different one. Okay. So it's upsetting to me because I feel like I was put on this earth for this particular purpose. And I sometimes feel like it's so far away and I don't know how to get there. Good. So how would you state that in a very short phrase? Well, what just came up is I'm not measuring up. If I don't fulfill my career goals, I'm not measuring up. Okay, If I great. don't fulfill my career goals, I'm not measuring great. up. And then I'm going to introduce a little trick that helps the process. Um, it's sometimes useful to imagine that you're looking at a movie screen and you have to describe the actual physical occurrences on that screen. What are the actions? What are the words? What are the physical expressions on the person's face and so forth? Just to get this nice and concrete. So to say that I'm not measuring up is a fine answer and we'll use it, but it could be a little bit more helpful if it got really concrete. Like, what does that look like on the movie screen? Mm -hmm. And I'll ask you one of the other questions to help you get the answer. What are you afraid if you're not uh, measuring up will happen next? I'm afraid that I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll feel like a loser. Okay. And again, that might be better stated if we looked at it on a screen and as particular uh, settings where you are in that scene, what actually happens next, what actions, what words. Let's try that. What are you afraid will actually happen next if you don't measure up or if you feel like a loser? I'm afraid that I will see other people making a big impact. Like on the movie screen, I can see other people who are doing amazing things and helping a lot of women, and I will feel small. I see myself scrunched down. Mm -hmm. I also see myself as, this is interesting, a younger girl, maybe around 12. 
on a bunch of popular girls not liking me or not inviting me. Very good. And you can see the helpfulness of really describing a picture on the movie screen. That was really good. So let's just take that last image. And sometimes you might get two different answers. It doesn't matter. They're all going to lead down to the same course. So we pick one. There you are, 12 years old, all the popular girls over there. You're small and huddled down over here. And that's your problem. And we could state that as a short single phrase, I'm left out or something like that. I'm not liked. I'm not liked. Good. And you're brave for sharing this, but this is mm-hmm. universally true for all of us. Uh, so you're, you're accomplishing your mission just by sharing. Mm-hmm. There you are. The problem now on line three on the left of the page is I'm not liked. And I'm going to ask you, if you're not liked, what are you afraid is going to happen next? Short, single answer. I'll be lonely. I'll be alone. Good. Perfect. Now, I'll tell you that may be the core fear. And I'll list the five core fears after we're done. But in order to make sure we're at the core, then we want to just keep asking the questions. If we are at the core, we're going to get the same answer, maybe in different forms, but essentially the same answer, I'll be alone. It might be, though, that there's a deeper fear underneath that fear of being alone Hmm. that really captures the essence of you. Hmm. So let's ask the question. If you're alone, what are you afraid you'll miss or lose? What's that picture look like on the movie screen? Well, what came to me, I don't know the picture. I mean, the picture is me huddled alone. What came to me is that I'm not lovable. Okay. And then I'm going to ask, if you're not lovable, what are you afraid is going to happen next? I suppose that then I'm alone. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They're they're intrinsically, they're tied together. But the point is, we just affirmed that that really is the root of everything for you. Hmm. So well done. And uh, yeah. Thanks, Todd. I told you all he's the best at this. (laughs) Well, this process really is extremely powerful and helpful. People can spend decades on the couch. People can try this form of self-help or that form of therapy. If you don't understand the root of the problem, the root at the root, you're not going to really have the the agency you need to make a difference. Mm. This is why I love the title of your book, Todd, because when I read that only 45% of therapies or cases of anxiety are being treated well or resolved, and I read what you wrote, that means that we're missing the boat. And that what we actually have to do is to deconstruct the anxiety. We've got to get to that root. And I, I love that. I was like, oh, yeah, well, of course, we must be missing something. Yeah. And so I love that you had me so quickly get to my root. And then, of course, you have such beautiful exercises to help someone move through it. Well, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, I'm eager to talk about the exercises because we don't want to just leave it at, oh, I know what my core fear is. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. (laughs) You know, it makes sense, though, when we talk about why would a three-year-old have anxiety? So I was three, the youngest. My sister was six. My brother was nine. I imagine my parents, who both worked full-time, were very busy with the two of them. And one of the things I do remember when I was a child, my bedroom was between theirs. 
my my brothers and my sisters. And I do remember that there was a lot of fighting as as my brother got older and became a teenage adolescent boy. He would fight with my dad a lot. As my sister became an adolescent girl and teenager, that he would she would fight with my mom a lot. And I remember being in my room alone a lot, crying and thinking, why can't we all just get along? And so I wonder if there was some sort of core fear. Of course, I also believe a three-year-old, as a three-year-old, I may have brought in past anxieties or past fears from prior lives. And we can talk about that. I don't know if we have time to. That that is starting to make sense to me, the I am alone or I will be alone. And what you're illustrating is exactly what happens with this exercise. People will have spontaneous flashbacks and memories and the unconscious opens up and makes all kinds of connections to the big decisions of their lives, the big events that shaped who they are Mm -hmm. because they were all driven by the core fear. And there's a nifty exercise called flowchart for your life journey. And you, you start with your earliest memory of the core fear, and then you write down in the box what you did to resolve that. And you then put a line to the next box where you see how the decision about what you did in that first box led inevitably to the decision, the next major life moment in the next box. And you can keep doing that and trace your whole journey through life to the present day and see how you came to be who you are and where you are. Wow. Yeah. That, that is, makes so much sense because whatever I did to resolve anxiety, the anxiety or fear of being alone at three, I'm sure if I traced it would then lead me to wanting to be friends with the popular girls when I was 10 lead me to want to being a cheerleader and perfect when I was 15, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that makes so much sense. And I can make a little guess here. If, if you'll permit me, I usually of don't course. do this without permission. Go for it. But uh, I hear, I believe that when you were three, watching your brother and sister give your parents a difficult time, you said, I wish we could all be at peace. I bet at that moment you made a beginning decision. I'm going to be the peacemaker. I'm going to be the star. I'm going to be the one that makes everybody happy and holds things together. A hundred percent. You nailed it. This gets on to the second very important step of the model, which is finding one's chief defense. The primary strategy we've used throughout our lives to protect ourselves from the core fear. Hmm. And we'll talk more about that. So side note, let me tell y'all why I really wanted Todd on here. Since we're such good friends, he won't take me as a client. And so this way, I get his brilliant work. Aren't I sneaky and awesome? I love it. I love it. So, well, Besides being very cute. <laughs> that makes God. a great point, which is you say that this isn't scary work. You didn't have to, again, open up your guts and go through all kinds of trauma. Uh, although sometimes people have um, cleansing catharsis when they find their core fear because it's like, oh, finally, I understand. Yeah, and finally. It makes all sense out of my life. And when yeah. you just said my core defense, that is absolutely who I have been. I always have been the peacemaker, the ham. I was the one wanting ev- like to make everyone laugh in the family. I can remember when we were taking like a National Lampoon's driving vacation from Michigan to California, and I would make like fun games out of everything. I really wanted everyone to just be happy. And then Wow, lo and behold, I end up getting my master's degree in happiness and teaching happiness for a living. So that And you're purpose girl. <laughs> <laughs> right, and being purpose girl and exactly. then wanting all of you out there, a million women to be happy. That makes so much sense. 
and you see it also, this is crucial, illustrates the point that we're not just focusing on fear or anxiety, we're focusing on fulfillment because this defense, this chief defense of trying to make everybody happy and hold things together has a, not only a silver lining, but became your identity and the most wonderful parts perhaps of your identity because it's a pursuit of fulfillment. Mm. We're not just driven by fear, we're mostly driven by fulfillment but the problem is the fear, again, limits how much fulfillment will allow. Mm -hmm. So even though you're out there being purpose girl and you are lighting people up in the most wonderful ways, like mm -hmm. as much or more Thank than anybody you. I know, <laughs> um, it's still, if there's that hidden feeling of, if I don't do this, then you know my parents are gonna be sad or whatever, my family's not gonna be who I want them to be, people aren't gonna, the world's not gonna come together in peace. And by the way, that's my chief defense too. <laughs> I gotta make the whole world happy as <laughs> yes. well. Uh, then we that's why we're good friends. <laughs> yeah, that's true, we're extremely alike. Uh, we wanna take out that piece of fear, so we're doing it only from freedom and fulfillment. Mm, this is so brilliant. So this was a part of your book, Todd, that I underlined in every color. This idea that we, there are two drivers, and one is, is fear, which comes from survival. And the other, though, which actually is more true, is fulfillment. Yes. yes. Right? Our full That's potential. Our first, impulse, our first drive, our biggest need. Yeah. And so talk a little bit more about what fulfillment means. Is it purpose? Is it being present? Is it being in flow? You give some examples in your book of when we were younger and chasing butterflies. Because I, I think that that's what we're all craving, right? Purpose Girl came because I really believe we're all craving that fulfillment, but we stay stuck in fear, right? In the job that doesn't fit us or in the relationship that doesn't serve us because we're so afraid. So let's dive a little bit into fulfillment. Perfect. Yep. Uh, to do so, I am happily reminded we have to still discuss those five core fears and you'll mm. see how that relates to fulfillment in a moment. Okay, great. But as I worked with clients over the years, I discovered, you know, there really are, everybody has their own core fear, according to their own unique history, when they first ex got exposed to fear and what interpretation they made about how life can be scary. But all of their different, all of our different core fears seem to fit into one of five categories. And they are the fear of abandonment. That's what you described, right? Mm. Losing love. Fear of losing one's identity. Fear of losing a sense of meaning. Fear of losing a sense of purpose, which is a little bit different than meaning, as I understand it. You and I had a discussion about this. Mm -hmm. I think meaning is the fundamental sense that we are valuable, worthy, and that the world and existence has value and worth. Mm -hmm. Purpose is about putting that into action and making our contribution to help improve the state of things to, to fulfill that potential worth. Well said. And the, the last uh, of the five core fears is the fear of death. Mm. A lot of people have a fear of sickness or pain, but that's not the core fear. Those, if you dig down deeper with the exercise, get to a fear of death. Now, how does that relate to fulfillment? Fulfillment, I say, is the resolution of those five core fears and the freedom to pursue what those fears kept us back from. So if we had a fear of abandonment and we get free of the fear that nobody's going to love us, then we are free not just to sit and enjoy that, you know, calm, <laughs> but to go out and love. 
Mm. Because the fear of abandonment or loss of love often translates into social anxiety, right? I can't just tell this person that, hey, I think you're cool and I want to connect and let's go out for lunch or what have you. Or we can't always with our, our partner say, I love you and express full and deep intimacy, whether it's sexual or otherwise. This is how the fears limit us from our fulfillment. Mm. So fulfillment in love is the resolution that comes when, we, when we're no longer afraid of abandonment. Mm. Fulfillment in identity, I know who I really am. I'm free to be my authentic self without fear that holds back my self-expression. Wow. Fulfillment in meaning, I know that I'm valuable and worthy. No more question about that. And I take a stand for who I am as a valuable, worthy person in the world. Fulfillment and purpose, that's what you're all about. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm here to do. I've got a contribution to make. I'm going to make it and nothing's going to stop me. Mm -hmm. And freedom from the fear of death is powerful, right? Because uh, according to A Course in Miracles, that's the last one. When we're free <laughs> of the fear of death, then everything else sort of dissolves. We're free to just enjoy the moment, live life to the fullest without anticipating the future that says someday I'm going to die and oh my God, I have to prepare now and I can't really put my attention on fulfillment as much as I would like. Right. Wow. So each one of these, we can go either way. We can get trapped into the fear of it or it can become that true source of fulfillment. Now, do each one of us have one core or because I can identify with all five of those? Yeah, good question. We all have all five, but one of them is predominant. One of them is the filter through which we've learned to see all negative experiences, all scary, mm -hmm. upsetting, disturbing experiences, because that's the history that from early childhood on, or maybe even in the womb, and we say, this is how life can be scary. It could take away my identity. Mm. And even though losing one's identity is connected to abandonment, right? If I don't know who I am, nobody's going to like me. Nobody's going to want to be around me. And it can feel like death. If I don't know who I am, there's no worth or value to it. I might as well you know, not even be here. It's really All of them are connected to each other but there's one that's predominant over the rest. And that's what we have to get our hands on to really make change. Mm, mm. And it's so interesting because I've pursued purpose. And I, as we go through this exercise, I can see that I've pursued purpose because it has the root of love. Beautiful. So, yeah. right. And so that is my core fulfillment. It is what I believe really fulfills all of us. And I hadn't made that connection before to love. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we give people a couple of the core exercises, because as you go through the book, you can tell how meaty and how rich Todd's work is. And as you get into chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, I think even, there are incredible exercises. And the way that you really frame these exercises is that we actually need to start facing the anxiety or facing the fear in a way that, like you said, we often want to avoid it. Yeah. So what's one or two, and I, I want people to, we don't have time to go into all of the exercises, but what's one exercise that you think is really valuable to share? Sure. And I may sneak in a couple of the others because they do, <laughs> he said they do create, well, they, they relate to each other and they create a really um, nice package <laughs> for how to pursue our path on a daily basis. Uh, but to start with, um, I'll list 
the the names of what I like to call the big three. The alchemist, mm-hmm. which is so named because we're transforming a base experience, some something fearful or anxiety producing, into something higher and finer. That's fulfillment or love. The witness, which I like to call uh, mindfulness on steroids. <laughs> and the warrior's stance. And I'll give a thorough description of the alchemist, uh, but I will sneak in the other two as well. Fair enough. In the alchemist, which I really love because it's such a complete experience of moving through fear all the way to its utter dissolution. It dissolves and people come out saying, it just floated away. Oh my God, what was I wasting my life on that thought for? Mm. It's not real, I can see it. Total, powerful, profound freedom. And it starts with the same question as in the digging for gold exercise. The particular question being, what what am I afraid will happen next? Mm -hmm. And we're again looking at that movie screen, but this time, instead of stopping at the core fear, so you start with any problem, you ask that question, what am I afraid will happen next? What am I seeing happening next on the movie screen? And very quickly, you'll get to the core fear or you start with your core fear. That picture of you perhaps being all alone, completely abandoned, there's no one else in the world and there never will be. Hmm. Now, we don't just stop there. In fact, that's our beginning. We say, what am I afraid will happen next? I'm sitting in that scene. I'm not distracting from it. I'm not avoiding it. I'm not busying myself. I'm not changing the subject. I'm looking at it. I'm sitting in it. I want to get to know this thing which has been chasing me my whole life. Hmm. And then we have an answer. What does it look like now? Well, it's still empty and lonely and dark and there's nothing happening. And sometimes the answer is nothing new is happening now and that's fine. You sit in the scene and you ask, And what's happening now? What happens next? And on and on and on until there will be inevitably a shift. And that's a golden magical moment Hmm. because it's the moment where our defense, that resistance that we've put up against our fear starts to melt little by little, soften, expand. Here's where I can bring in the witness that uh, mindfulness on steroids exercise. Hmm. Because in that one, we, we visualize an expansion of space and ease and gentleness and softening around that scene that was so uncomfortable, represented as a physical sensation. That's in the witness. But back to the alchemist, we can speed this up by saying, all right, imagine that you're sitting there in that scene for a full hour. Mm-hmm. It's safe. You're just imagining it. Nobody gets freaked out by it. I'm sitting in the loneliness. Yeah. And other girls are hanging out. Exactly. I'm sitting there for an hour. For an hour. Oh, that makes me want to throw up, Todd. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) We we need to tolerate just a little bit of that in order to get free. And remember, the goal is freedom. Mm -hmm. It's a a whole lot less uncomfortable, I think, than most other forms (laughs) of therapy. Um, In any case, uh, we sit in it. We imagine sitting in it for an hour then we extend that to three hours. We really imagine that. Just sitting there, no escape, no trying to get out of it, no trying to get yourself busy and more comfortable. You want to get to know the root of the root Mm. of what's been going on in your unconscious, driving you your whole life. 
So the picture I just had is in three hours, I'm, I'm having panic attack. Now, if that's true, then you're still in that scene of your core fear, but it's safe to visualize because you're only imagining it. Mm -hmm. This never has brought up a true panic attack or actually any kind of intense anxiety at all. People find the exercise very safe, very comfortable because they're looking at it from a distance and because they know that it's leading to freedom. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I'm having a panic attack thinking about it. I think that my 12-year-old self is having one. That's fine. And so you can watch with that objectivity, which again is enhanced in the witness. That's why mm -hmm. we call it the witness. You're standing mm -hmm. back watching objectively uh, and not get so caught in it that it, it would precipitate anything uncomfortable. It never does. Got it. Uh, people have that concern, but it never does. Anyhow, you keep extending the timeline, three hours, five hours, half a day, a full day, three days five days a week, and on and on and on, but going very slowly so that you can mm. really imagine sitting in that scene for that long, as long as it takes until that shift occurs. And it is inevitable that that shift will occur. Mm. Sometimes I take people out to thousands, millions, billions of years, mm. And one person I had to take out to eons upon eons, <laughs> but then she got it. Yeah. Well, it's she interesting. Said, oh, wow. I think when you just got, maybe it was to five days or maybe it was to five weeks. I can't remember which one you said. In my body, I had the picture of myself getting up and finding other friends in school. Now, when you did that. And I actually felt calm. Like, I don't uh, need those girls. Exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't need those girls. Now, I wasn't expecting anything to happen as I described the exercise, but you actually had a mini experience. It could be much, much more profound than that, like mm -hmm. a complete sense of freedom from the fear that's been haunting you for a lifetime. But that's exactly what we expect. Mm -hmm. The shift is, oh, I didn't see it that way before. There is no real cause for fear, nothing really stopping me from pursuing fulfillment. And everybody ends up saying, you know what? I can just go find this fulfillment out out there mm -hmm, that way. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not held back anymore. I yeah, that, actually, that's totally what happened. I know yeah. you weren't like really doing the exercise with me, yeah. but I went there and I totally saw myself getting up. Maybe it was five days or five weeks at the school and finding other friends. And well, it, you, you had to have really put yourself in the scene to be able to get at that easily. But again, I, I also read your book. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I did the exercises I was doing it. You know, I, I know I said one exercise, but I do want to mention one exercise that you, you put in there, which is you talk about the warrior stance. Yeah. And this is being able to pause and not let the anxiety or the to do or the have to get done, done. That's and good. Yeah, I, I really, I really found this to be such a great practice because the exercises we've been doing so far have been getting to the core fear, and you know these are bigger exercises. And something I thought was so brilliant about your exercise, the warrior stance, is taking a pause, letting the phone ring, and not answering it. Right. Starting an email and not completing it yet. Walking on your way to the television and just pausing in the hallway. And I found this so brilliant because we are all running around, busy, 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 typing so fast, doing everything fast, getting from here to there. 
And to pause is profound and scary. And I practiced it and it was hard. Yeah. yeah. And yet I can see how helpful it would be for my anxiety. Like, oh no, I don't have to answer this email right now. Now, of course, my brain was saying, yes, you do, because someone's waiting on a response because that person needs you. And so I just wanted to mention that exercise because I, I thought this is moment by moment practice. And I thought that was really great. Yeah, maybe I can make a few comments. This is why I say the three exercises work so well together, because the alchemist and the witness take time out from life. Mm-hmm. And the alchemist can take a good 45 minutes, the witness maybe 20 to 30. But the warrior's stance is to be done moment by moment, exactly as you say. And we integrate the alchemist and the witness as we're doing the warrior's stance. Here's how. As you describe, the warrior's stance is a matter of physically freezing with the conviction and the power and courage of a warrior and not moving off your stand until you don't have to anymore. So it's exactly as you said, we are as if an invisible hand is pushing us from behind all day long, every day, gotta do this, gotta get that done, gotta make sure, all of which are fears. If I don't get this done, terrible things will happen. Right. And the warrior stands in a matter of about three to five minutes. When we stand there resolutely refusing to move, no matter how much our fear is screaming at us, all kinds of terrible things will happen if you don't get this done. It's going to lead to disaster this way, disaster that. We stand still anyhow. In three to five minutes, the shift, the same shift happens into freedom. Mm. with the same realization, there ain't no there there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fear had no teeth. Mm. It cannot hurt me. It was completely made up. It's like a puff of smoke that just evaporates. Mm. It's such a profound, transformative moment. It can absolutely change your life in that three to five minutes. Mm. And yes, the fear is kind of scary, trying to, to convince you that uh, you should do it later, or I've done enough. That's long enough. Let me get on with it. But right. if we stand there until we don't have to move, we don't have to finish that task. We're willing for any consequences because nothing matters to us more than freedom and fulfillment. That's when the magic happens. Mm. This exercise is so profound, Todd, and so simple. What if someone is listening to this and they're like, no, but I actually do have to pick up carpool. No, I actually do have to answer that email. Yeah. Yep, it's going to be a challenge because it's hitting us at our core fear. It's not mm-hmm. just, oh, if I don't pick up the carpool or answer this email, somebody's going to be pissed at me or somebody's going to be put out or the kids will be upset, whatever it is. It goes right to our core fear. Who will I be if I'm not a responsible person? If your mm-hmm. core fear is lost of identity. Wow. What's going to happen to my purpose if I mess this up? Everything will fall apart on. I'll never get my chance again. Our fear goes to absolute catastrophic extremes. And all that we're doing in this exercise is waiting. You have to wait, be willing to wait as long as it takes, but it ends up being usually about three minutes, waiting three minutes for the chance to get our lives back. Mm. And we have to have that warrior's courage that says nothing is more important. And I don't believe in my fear. There's nothing that's really going to be ruined if you would delay it by three minutes. 
And the paradox, of course, is when we take those three minutes, we're much more efficient with everything else afterwards, and we usually have more time. Right, because we then don't have that anxiety that's pulling on us. That's what allows us to be more efficient. Exactly, exactly. Todd, I could talk to you forever. These tools are so helpful. This work is so important. And everyone out there, I I encourage you, run. Do not walk. Run. If anxiety is something that you have suffered from, if one of these fears resonates for you, then head over to Amazon or any bookseller and make sure that you get Deconstructing Anxiety. We have a link in the show notes. And Todd, I think you also have a free gift for all of my listeners. Oh, sure. I love to give away a free ebook of quotes and stories that can change your life. Hmm. Uh, these are a compilation of quotes that I've gathered over decades that fit in with the topics we've been talking about today, but they really do have the power to get that shift we're talking about and, and create that insight into the fear does not have power over me any longer. Hmm. I'll also mention that um, if they are interested in buying the book, I can lead them, direct them to a 30% discount till December 31st that the publisher is offering. And that would be found on my website at toddpressman.com. Oh, thank you so much, Todd. We appreciate that. And we will put that link in the show notes specifically so you can get that 30% off of Todd's book. Todd, we thank you so much. Now, Todd, before I let you go, there is one thing I like to do with all my guests, and it's called a Purpose Power Playround. And basically, this is I'm going to ask you a couple of random questions, and whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind is the correct answer. You up okay. for it? Sure. No okay. fear here. <laughs> right. No fear here. All fulfillment. All fulfillment. This is fulfillment of love and purpose and meaning and knowing you're valuable and uh, living fully and all that, all that good stuff. Okay. So number one, other than your own book, what is a book everyone must read? You're so well educated in psychology. Well, it's not light reading, but it is absolutely life transforming. And that would be A Course in Miracles mm. without hesitation. A hundred percent. If you have not seen the course, I have not yet been able to make my way through it completely. Although I haven't tried in years. And when I was doing it, it's a daily practice of shifting from fear into freedom. And it, it's really profound, profound. What did you want to be when you were a little boy, Todd? Oh, I haven't thought about that since I was a little boy. Let's mm -hmm. see. Well, I know now I was definitely born to be a psychologist, and I was reviewing with my wife some experiences when I was really little that, that made me know it. But uh, I don't remember ever saying I wanted to be an astronaut or the president. <laughs> <laughs> you always were meant to be a psychologist. Maybe you have so. found your purpose for sure. Uh, you know what it was? It was a physician because uh, my dad was a physician, kind of just in the family culture. And my mother um, <laughs> bought each of us kids a, a little medical bag that had candy pills in it. And I thought they were so delicious, but I wanted <laughs> to be a physician. <laughs> I love it. What have you had to stop doing or let go of to be where you are now? Truth be told, I was very close to becoming a monastic at the Zen Mountain Monastery. Very, very close. Mm -hmm. And I said to God, um, you decide. I'll pull out all the stops. Am I supposed to be a monk or am I supposed to get married and have a child and live in the world and find my fulfillment that way? And I, in saying I would pull out all the stops, I actually placed a personal ad 
hmm. in the local paper. This was the days in the days before internet dating. Right. And uh, the woman who was the second to answer the ad turned into my wife. So that <laughs> gave me the answer. <laughs> I love that story so much that you put an ad in the paper and you absolutely found the love of your life. And the two of you are so much to be. And your daughter is just so fabulous and creative and artistic. And clearly your family is, is meant to be. I love that story. Thank you. Okay. Last question. One thing that we all can send you wishes for that you would like to see happen in five or 10 years? For me personally. For you personally. Ah, thank you. Well, I have found my purpose in this work. And that's really uh, in terms of uh, what I want to see happen in the world. I want to see this work spread as widely as possible. And personally, uh, I would say wishes and and prayers for my my own journey to fulfillment and freedom from all fear. And thank you in advance. I really I do appreciate that. You got it. You got it. It's our pleasure. All of that is coming to you, Todd, and more. Thank so you, we Karen. thank you, Todd, for sharing your wisdom and your tools. This is so important. It's helped me personally both reading the book, knowing you personally, and now this free therapy session has been amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We so appreciate you, Todd. Dr. Todd Pressman, make sure you check out Deconstructing Anxiety. And for all of you out there, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Purpose Girl Podcast. We hope you loved it. If you did, then head on over to Apple Podcasts for 30 seconds and just leave a one or two sentence review your five-star reviews are what is helping us to have women all over the world from Macau, Hong Kong, Mexico, Slovenia, Holland. We are now all over the world and it is because of your five-star reviews. So thank you in advance for just pausing the episode, leaving that one sentence. It helps so much. This episode has been brought to you by the Purpose Girl Empowered Program. This is the four-month journey for you to discover your purpose and step into your most powerful self. Throughout four months, you will get one-on-one -on -one and group coaching with me and a small group sisterhood where you will get so clear on your superwoman strengths, on your passions, on what you are here to do in the world and heal any and all old wounds for you to truly stand in your power. Women in this program have gone on to write books, go back to school, leave abusive marriages, start new marriages. The Empowered Program will be the most powerful experience of your life. And we start mid-January, so you want to make sure you go over to PurposeGirl.com forward slash empowered. Of course, if you haven't yet joined the Purpose Girls Facebook group, it's totally free. What are you waiting for? Every day we put on a post, a journal prompt, something that will help you to live your purpose. And of course, you can find me on Instagram at Karen Rockhind and on Facebook at Coach Karen Rockhind. And of course, the most, most, most important thing you can do is to share the Purpose Girl podcast with every woman you know. This episode is especially for your mom, your daughters, your sisters, your friends, any woman at work, or anyone, period, who is suffering from anxiety, who has suffered from these core fears. The best thing you can do is to share the Purpose Girl podcast with everyone that you know, because that is how we change the world one woman at a time. With that, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself. And may you love life. Bye for now. <laughs>